Now, gracious Heavenly Father, we do again come before you this evening in begging for your presence, Lord, begging for you to work in our hearts and our minds, begging for you to work in us as a church body. Teach us thy word. Open up our eyes to see the wonderful doctrines that lay before us tonight, Lord, as we examine the heart, as we look, O Lord, at our duty to watch over our hearts, Lord, that we might find ourselves in that eternal bliss, Lord, because we have kept your word and we have walked in your ways. Lord, let us not be confused. Let us not in any way be deceived, Lord, about our condition or where we are, but show us the light and the truth, Lord, of where we are so that we might flee to you for remedy of sin and of uh, salvation. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. If you have your Bibles, open them to Proverbs chapter 4. Proverbs chapter 4. I'm going to read one verse. One verse. Verse 23. Proverbs chapter 4, verse 23. Hear the word of the living God. Watch over your heart with all diligence. For from it flow the springs of life. And thus ends the reading of God's word. You may be seated. Our lesson tonight is going to be how to maintain a healthy heart. Maintaining a healthy heart or a wise heart, whichever one you prefer. I'm not um, uh, wedded to one or the other, but both would fit the lesson tonight, and it fits the context that we find these words in. The book of Proverbs was a book written that God's people might understand and obtain wisdom, not earthly wisdom, but heavenly wisdom. In these words, uh, um, Solomon speaks of the fondness of his father David, catechizing him in the way that he should go. If you look at the very beginning of the proverb, and he just begins to sort of recite as even Solomon is instructing his own children, he is reminiscing about his own instruction. Hear, O sons, the instruction of a father. Give attention that you may gain understanding, for I give you sound teaching or sound doctrine. Do not abandon my instruction when I was a son to my father, tender and the only son in the sight of my mother, then he taught me and said to me, let your heart hold fast to my words, keep my commandments and live, acquire wisdom, acquire understanding, and do not forget nor turn away from the words of my mouth. That was that and much many other proverbs was the instruction that Solomon had received as a young man. And we would do well today to follow in those footsteps. Beloved, the reason I chose this text is, well, there's at least two reasons. Number one, it's an easy text to understand. And I chose it because of its content, its doctrine, but I chose it because I wanted to at least impress upon us tonight how we might even study our own Bibles, how we might open up the book of Proverbs, 
for ourselves, take out our notebooks, and to begin to draft our own notes concerning the words in the book. It's an exercise that would serve each and every one of you well. It's one that I have practiced for years and years. It's one that I've come to know early on in my Christian faith. And to this day, even though I can go long periods of times without practicing those steps, I benefit today from all of those earlier times where I have sat down time after time, notebook after notebook, and jotted down these verses and these thoughts and these doctrines and these practices. That is a way to hide the word of God in you, to tuck it away, to, to store it away, to treasure trove the word of God in your heart so that you might be made vitally useful to God and his kingdom and to your brothers and sisters. Now, as I said, it's an easy verse to understand. It breaks up into three parts or at least, at least I break it up into three parts. Some have two. I break it down into three parts. Let me give you those parts and then we will open those up. First of all, we have a commandment. There's a command. You can see the command as you look at the verse, can't you? What is the command? Watch over your heart. That's the imperative. That's what the father is commanding of his son. Watch over your heart. Now there's a second part of the verse and the second part of the verse explains the uh, how you are to watch over your heart. How you are to do it with all diligence. How you are to attend with your heart is to be exerting an extreme amount of energy to watch over your heart. Diligence. And then thirdly, there's a argument attached to the very end of the verse. That is, there's an, an argument of appeal or encouragement. That is, you may not want to watch over your heart, and you are, you may watch over your heart, but you may not do it with very much effort. And though there's an argument attached to the end of it, and it's this, for from it, that is your heart, flow the springs of life or the issues of life. Now let's sort of, let me speak to these three categories and then we will address the doctrine. First of all, to watch over your heart is something that are to keep your heart with all diligence. I like the word keep better than watch. I think the word keep serves a, be, a, serves a stricter purpose then watch, it's, it's more than simply being on guard. It's more than being on guard. To keep something is to protect it, treasure it. Uh, there's at least three ideas contained in this Hebrew word. The first one is that of a gardener, one who keeps the garden. And as if you've, if you've ever kept a garden, if you've ever planted anything, 
just because you put seeds in the ground and even water it and see it come up and start bearing fruit does not mean you're ever going to pick from that plant and use it later on. Because if you don't watch over the plant, over the garden, well, you have all kinds of bugs and everything else that wants to eat the plant. And you have to protect it. You have to watch over it. You have to till it. You have to cultivate it, fertilize it, get the weeds out of it. It takes labor and work to benefit from a good garden. That's one idea. There's another idea is that of a prison guard, a keeper of the prison. One who is watching over the prisoners, making sure that bad people stay where bad people are supposed to stay, locked up. You don't let the bad people out because they will go out and defraud people, murder people, and do all kinds of disgusting things to their neighbors. And so they are locked up and in prison. That's another idea of this word. And let me give you at least a a biblical guard, and that is in Genesis chapter 3. In Genesis chapter 3, and in fact, we can find um, all three concepts right there early on in Genesis. The first one, as I talked about a gardener, if you look at Genesis 2.15, it says, Then the Lord took the man, we know the man to be Adam, and put him into the garden of Eden to cultivate it and what? Keep it. That's your word. To protect it. That is, Adam was to cultivate it. He was to keep it. In fact, we, I think it's reasonable that God was already warning Adam of an intruder. You know who the intruder was? Satan. And he did not keep that diligently, did he? Because Satan found a way into the garden again, in the appearance of a serpent and had his way with them. The second one is Genesis chapter 3, verse 24. Genesis 3, 24. And uh, so the verse says, so he drove the man out and at the east of the garden of Eden, he stationed the cherubim And the flaming sword, which turned every direction to guard the way of the tree of life. Here, God had placed a cherubim at the entrance of the Garden of Eden with a flaming sword to discourage Adam and Eve trying to re-enter into the garden. They've been exiled out of the garden. Now they're going to have to work by the sweat of their brow. They're going to have to labor hard to eat from the fruit of the ground. Where in the garden, there were all kinds of trees and everything else to eat from. So the cherubim was to guard the way of the tree of life. Now think about that as guarding in a mercy sense because God did not want Adam and Eve to go back into the garden and eat of the tree of life, thus sealing their fate forever. 
There would have been no opportunity for then for redemption. And so he placed a cherubim there to keep them from doing that. And of course, there was no need for the cherubim once the flood came and destroyed and rearranged the earth from that perspective. Genesis 17 Genesis 17, 9 and 10, God said further to Abraham, now as for you, you shall keep, there's your word, my covenant, you and your descendants after you throughout your generations. This is my covenant, which you shall keep between me and you and your descendants after you, every male among you shall be circumcised. And again, there in verse 18, I mean, chapter 18, verse 19, for God says, I have chosen him being Abraham so that he might command his children and his household after him to keep the way of the Lord by doing righteousness and justice. There's Concepts are all loaded up in this verse in Proverbs chapter 4, verse 23. We are to be diligent or we ought to be keepers of our own hearts. The idea, the idea in the Hebrew is that there are many responsibilities you have before God. God has given you many responsibilities. But there's one that excels them all. That's this one. Okay? If you don't keep this commandment, you can't keep the very first catechism question you learn. What's the chief end of man? The chief end of man is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. You can't glorify God and enjoy God forever if you are not a keeper of your own heart. So among all the duties and responsibilities that we all have and possess as men, as women, fathers, mothers, whatever our stations, whatever our states, whatever our callings, we must keep this commandment as chief of all of these other responsibilities. In other words, my brothers and sisters, this is not something that you can leave here tonight and never think about again. It's a very serious matter. It's serious because, number one, it's your heart you're watching after, not your brothers, not your sisters. Even as a parent, not even your children, even though you do protect them and you provide for them an environment for them to hopefully be able to watch over their hearts. But you can't manage the secrets of one's heart. And therefore, the imperative is for each one of us to be diligent about our own hearts. And speak a little bit about the manner in which we do it. What is the idea of diligence? The idea of diligence is full exertion of energy. It's the full exertion of energy. It's it's the um, it's it's the proverbs. Let's see. 
Proverbs 2 verse 4, if you seek her as silver, if you search for her as hidden treasures. Now, what kind of energy does it take to dig up treasure? What type of energy does it take to look for something that's lost? It takes a lot. And and the idea here is the exertion of large amounts of energy in order to keep a watch over your own heart. Now, now why does it take that amount of energy? Well, because since our parents have fallen and we have inherited, we have had that guilt imputed to us, our hearts are slippery and wicked. Jeremiah 17 verse 9 says, the heart is desperately sick or wicked. Who can know it? That is, it's hard for us to even know ourselves. For we often give ourselves the benefit of the doubt in a very wrong way. With all diligence, when you, when you, when you think about this, I mean, when you think about watching over your heart, guarding, if you will, uh, as the Bible would talk about, that treasure, because where what Jesus taught us in the Sermon on the Mount is that wherever your treasure is, there your heart will be, right there in Matthew 6. It's clear that whatever's the most important, whatever is the most important to you, whatever that is, it will find a dominant place in your heart. And so the question always is for the Christian is, is my heart conforming, reforming, and transforming to the Word of God? Is my heart being molded and shaped to the glory of God? What are these idols that I struggle with every day? What are these idols that that I have to contend with on a daily basis? What are they? Are they fear, worry, anger, bitterness? Am I worried about the economy? Am I worried about my job? Am I worried about the state of our nation? That so much so, that's all I dwell on. That consumes me. And it's, it paralyzes me from doing the things that God's called me to do. That's idolatry. Because no matter what state and condition the world is in, we should always be seeking to worship the Lord, serve the Lord, adore the Lord, cast our cares and our worries and our concern to the Lord, and walk in His ways trusting him that he has us, that he has me. And of course, Jesus supported that by saying, well, are you not more important than a sparrow? Are you not more important than a small, tiny bird? And of course, the answer is, of course you are. You're made in the image of God. Are you 
And does a father give his son a snake when they ask for bread? No, he does not. Nor does our heavenly father treat us that way. So we watch over our hearts because our hearts need watching over. And we watch over them because now that we have, have a fallen nature, even in a redeemed state, we struggle with what we call in the Reformed theology, the remnants of cor corruption. The remnants of corruption. Yes, we've been cleansed. Yes, we've been washed. And you may ask yourself, why do I still struggle with anger? Because there's the remnants of corruption. Why do I still struggle with lust? Remnants of corruption. Why do I still struggle with laziness? Remnants of corruption. See? Why do I still struggle with greed? Remnants of corruption. But as a redeemed Christian, a saint, a child of God, the Spirit of God is working in you to put to death those corruptions on a regular basis. And that's what Paul meant in Romans 8 when he talked about that the one who walks according to the Spirit is putting to death the deeds of the flesh. And I'll get to more of that in a moment. So we see the command, the action required is for us to watch over our own hearts. Now, there is a, a there is a, let's see, go, go, turn to Galatians 6. Let me, let me, a verse that comes to mind, because I don't want you to think that you are simply to watch over yourself and not care about one another. That's just not Christian at all. Um, look at Galatians 6. I'm going to read the verse that I'm intending to read to show you your responsibilities beyond you, and then we'll support it on up into chapter 5. But look at verse 1. Brethren, even if anyone is caught in any trespass, you who are spiritual, restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness, each one looking to yourself so that you too will not be tempted. Now, I think it's, it, it, it's clear enough that we can imply from the text that as we watch over our hearts, we are the ones that would be ready, prepared to help our brothers and our sisters when they fall, to aid them in picking them up and supporting them and helping them, coming along beside them, helping them carry their responsibilities, their what Paul calls their load or burden. 
Now, if we're watching over our hearts, what is one thing we know? We know how hard it is. We know how easy it is to slip. We know, we know how much effort it takes to do this. And when we find our brothers and sisters who have failed at this, there is no reason for us to step, step back and mock that, but we know how hard it is. And therefore we would compassion and mercy come along beside them to help them along the way. Now, if you're not watching out over your heart, if you're not diligently studying your own heart, looking to bring the word of God to bear upon your own corruptions so that you may act diligently before the Lord. Well, brothers and sisters, how are you going to be compassionate to your brother or sister who falls? But you don't understand, you see. In fact, there's another passage that comes to my mind in talking about it, Matthew chapter 7. Matthew chapter 7, verse 1. Do not judge so that you will not be judged. For in the way you judge, you will be judged. And by your standard of measure, it will be measured to you. And why do you look at the speck in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye, and behold, the log is in your own eye? And Christ, in verse 5, calls that person a hypocrite. Now, the point being, brothers and sisters, an application there. If I'm not watching over my heart, with diligence, I'm going to be very apt to be hypocritical to others and judge them harshly. And we don't want to do that. So we have the commandment. You know what that is. Watch over your heart. We have the manner in which we are to perform that commandment with all diligence. And then number three, we have this, this, in, this ground of encouragement, if you will, provoking you to, to go onward with it, as difficult as it may be, because out of the heart spring the issues of life. That's the enforcement of the commandment. God in his mercy, his love for you enforces it with that encouragement now, what does it mean that from the heart flow the issues of life? Well, the idea here is that the heart is the spring, the fountain of everything you are, of everything you are. Your speech, your daydreaming, your thoughts, your habits, the way you work, the way you rest, the way you recreate, the way you worship, it's everything. It's who you are. That's the life aspect of it. From the heart flows the issues of life. Turn with me to Mark chapter 7. And again, this is the 
the teaching of our Lord, and he had to address the hypocrisy and the legalism of the Pharisees. And notice what he says right there in verse 14. He says, after he had called the crowd to him again, he began saying to them, listen to me, all of you, and understand there is nothing outside the man which can defile him if it goes into him. But the things which proceed out of the man are what defile the man. If anyone has ears to hear, let him hear. When he had left the crowd and entered the house, his disciples questioned him about the parable. And he said to them, are you so lacking in understanding also? Do you not understand that whatever goes into the man from the outside cannot defile him because it does not go into his heart, but into his stomach and is eliminated? Thus he declared all foods clean. And he was saying that which proceeds out of the man, that is what defiles him. Verse 21, from, for from within, out of the heart of man proceed evil thoughts, fornications, thefts, murders, adulteries, deeds of coveting, wickedness, as well as deceit, sensuality, evil slander, pride, and foolishness. All these evil things proceed from within and defile the man. Now that's life's issues. And again, the, the counter to that is given to us back in Galatians 5 when Paul brings up the fruit of the Spirit in relationship to these what we call deeds of the flesh. But verse 22 of Galatians 5, Paul says, But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. Why? Because this is the keeping of the law. Now those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us... Also, walk by the Spirit. And we'll stop our reading there. When we talk about the heart being that fountain out of which flow the issues of life, beloved, everything that you are right here tonight have all, all flows out of your heart. If you are an angry person, there's anger in your heart. If you are a greedy person, there is greed in your heart. If you are an immoral person, there's immorality in your heart. If you are a selfish person, again, there's greed in your heart. There are all of the things that we are. If, but if you are walking in the Spirit and you are a loving person, what's in your heart? Love. If you have compassion on others, what's in your heart? Compassion. If you are a giver and merciful, what's in your heart? Mercy. You see, that's how we address and deal with our own personal corruption is making sure that these, these virtues, right? These virtues spring forth out of a heart through our 
through number one, being born again, the spirit of God dwelling in us because we can't fabricate it. We can't just make it up. But that we walk in these virtues because this is who we are. This is what we want to be. This is how we please God. This is how we glorify God. This is how we enjoy God. And this is how we are happy. You look back at Proverbs 4. There is a promise, there is a promise found in verse 22, that is, if we are going to maintain a healthy spiritual heart, a spiritually healthy heart, a wise heart, notice verse 22, for they are right? These things that, these commandments, these, this, this wisdom, this knowledge that's been given from above, this sound doctrine that's found in the beginning of the chapter. He says, keep them in the midst of your heart for, verse 22, for they are life to those who find them and health to all their body. That's a promise. They are life and health. It's the, it's the counterposition of sorrow and misery. Life and health. Now, it's a general promise because you may be sitting here tonight struggling with arthritis. You may be battling cancer. There's a number of, of ailments that we see going on every day all around us. You can say, well, that, obviously that promise doesn't apply to me. It's a general promise. Sometimes God does allow particular children to struggle with health in order to boost their diligence, to encourage their diligence even in a higher degree and level. Sometimes, beloved when we find ourselves stubborn when it comes to spiritual matters, the Lord sends motivations into our life. And sometimes those motivations are physical, physical. Because it's in those physical ailments. And I believe that's even why the, 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 uh, Solomon points this out as this life and health. Listen, I can assure you as a believer, you come up to me tonight, you tell me I'm wrong. I'm, I'm, I'm sure that as a believer, when the Lord sends these physical ailments into your life, you're going to pray more. You are going to, to dwell on the mercies of God more, his remedy. You're going to, you're going to ask God for his intervention more. You're going to spend more time contemplating, thinking about your heart, your anger, your bitterness, making sure, Lord, I, I know it's wrong to be angry with God because of my condition. And oftentimes those physical ailments will heighten your spirituality. So, let's, 
let's set forth in the last few minutes the doctrine. The doctrine. We've explained the verse. We've divided it up. We've explained its parts. But what doctrine could we glean from this verse? I think there are several, several that we could uh, glean, but I'm going to give you one, maybe two, but at least one. Here's one. And I, I took and I wrote this in, in my own personal words in order again to help you and aid you in how that I would really like to see you start studying your Bible. And that is this, if I am to see the end of my salvation, that is thinking about myself, if I am going to see the end of my salvation, that is, if I'm going to obtain that which I long and hope for, then I must keep my heart with diligence. If I am going to persevere and obtain the promise of everlasting life, if I'm going to obtain it, I must keep my heart with all diligence. Amen? You see that? For without it, you're never going to obtain it. You're not going to have eternal life being a slothful, professing believer, never addressing your heart, and never amending your ways. I'll give you time to write that down. Hebrews is a, a good book to build on that doctrine. Look at Hebrews chapter 3. Hebrews chapter 3. I'm going to give you a couple of verses to support the doctrine, and then I'm going to give you some application, okay? Hebrews chapter 3. Um, beginning, well, for the sake of, of time, I'm going to read verse 12. The context here is the wayward children of Israel wandering in the desert, the reason they wandered for 40 years until that generation died out was because of what? An unbelieving heart. Okay? Verse 12. Take care, brethren, that there not be in any one of you an evil, unbelieving heart that falls away from the living God. But encourage one another day after day, as long as it is still called today, so that none of you will be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. Did you catch that deceitfulness of sin part? Because that's what sin does. Sin deceives and hardens. Most, and it works, it works similar to this. 
you may have watched others and you thought, you know what, I can do the same things. I can play with the same sins. I can fall. You know, these men, I'm not like them. It will never happen to me what happened to them. You deceived. The same path of righteousness and virtue leads to the same destination, everlasting life in Christ. The sin of sin and destruction leads to the same destination, hellfire and brimstone. Those paths never change. They are what they are, and they always be, will always be what they have always been. Those who are on them can expect to go there. Those who are on the virtuous path can expect to have eternal life. That's it. And that's what the author of Hebrews is telling us. Be careful. Watch over. Make sure that your heart isn't deceived by sin and thus being hardened. Well, how do you know you have a hard heart? Well, he says right there in verse 15, he says, while it is said, today if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. What do you mean hear his voice? Well, we just heard a commandment from the word of God. What's the commandment that you heard in your hearing? Watch over your hearts. Keep your hearts. That's the Lord's voice tonight to you and to me. Watch over your hearts. Lord, how shall we watch over our hearts? With all diligence, my son and daughter. Why should I watch over my heart, Lord? Because from it, son, flows the issues of life. If I expect to go to heaven I must put my hands to this work, okay? Now, let's make some application. There was another passage. I mean, we could go to Hebrews 12. There's about 10 places in Hebrews that would fill the bill here. You can look those up later. Let's let's bring some application to our message tonight. We talk about watching over our heart. How do we watch over our heart? Well, I mean, it goes without saying that we hide the word of God away in our heart. Okay, so I'm not going to even address that one. That's a given. But I'm going to give you some ways in which we struggle what to look for what to look for. Why? Because our hearts are very apt to be led astray. Remember, our hearts are deceitful. So, how are our hearts led astray? Number one, through your eyes, the things you look at, the things you watch. the things that you gaze upon. There's beauty in the world. And if we lived in a sinless world, there would be no problem with beauty. And then there's a fallen world where beauty can be very dangerous, temptuous, destructive. Destructive. 
Solomon, or not Solomon, but David in 2 Samuel chapter 11 and verse 2. I'm just going to say the phrase and you'll know the, the story. It says that he, being David, saw a woman bathing herself. And we know what the result of that was. Him committing adultery. Having the husband of that woman he committed adultery with killed on the battlefield. Where did it start? Well, it certainly started before that, but when he was on that rooftop, where did that experience start? With his eyes. Gazing upon something that he should have averted himself and walked back down into his palace. Secondly, the tongue, speech. Brothers and sisters, you must guard your heart, not only by the things you look at, but by the things that people say to you or you say to them. Flattery is a sin. Proverbs 17 and verse 20 says that a man with a perverse tongue falls into evil. Coarse speech, coarse jesting makes a man, a woman ripe for a fall. Matthew chapter 12 Let's look at the text. I think it's always beneficial on this particular text. If we can put our eyes on it, look at verse uh, chapter 12, verse 33. Either make the tree good and its fruit good or make the tree bad and its fruit bad for the tree is known by its fruit. You brood of vipers, how can you being evil speak what is good? For the mouth speaks out of which fills the heart. A good man brings out of the treasure what is good. An evil man brings out of his, his evil treasure what is evil. But I tell you that every careless word that people speak, they shall give an accounting for it on the day, in the day of judgment. For by your words, you will be justified. And by your words, you will be condemned. Now, I want to say, make this little application to that point. It's not simply just the words that we say to one another. It's the words you say to yourself. Don't overlook that simple point. Why? Why? Because you will lie to yourself. You will justify yourself. You will tell yourself things that you want to be true and are not. And so you must govern that inner voice and you not only that outside voice, that you speak to others, but that inner voice where you talk to yourself and even to God. Number three, 
So we have eyes, we have tongue. Number three, feet. Your feet, the places you go, the places you take yourself. Proverbs chapter 5 and verse 8. Certainly is a warning to all. Keep your way, speaking to the young men, far from her. Who is her? She's the temptress. Keep your way far from her. Do not go near the door of her house. Notice, don't even go near the door because of the great strength of that temptation. Proverbs 7. Verse 8, passing through the street corner near, passing through the street near her corner, and he takes the way to her house. And again, it's, it's, a, it's a proverb of a, a man that falls into great, harsh sexual sin. And notice, he wasn't concerned about the path he took. Like, a, like an ox. He just walks. There's no indication that this was premeditated, but where he ended up cost him greatly. Brothers and sisters, where we take ourselves can be a great determining factor on how we keep our hearts. People you listen to, and that's why this culture, and, and that, look, there's a, that's the downside. Or th- that is the two-edged sword of our social media platforms and our smartphones and everything else. There's a ton of good that's coming out of this. Let's not diminish that. But there's also a ton of temptation. A ton of temptation. And we would have to be honest and say there are Thousands of people that would have never, ever fallen without it. But that temptation's right there. Right there. So we have eyes, we have tongue, we have feet, ears, the things we listen to. Proverbs chapter 5 and verse 3 says, Her hip, her lips drip honey. She's a flatterer. This temptress. And, and, and I think there's, a, again, it's not just, this isn't about uh, speaking ill of women. It, this is about what sin, this is a picture of sin. Sin is a flatterer. Sin loves to flatter you. You will enjoy this. This will be good for you. You know, have fun. Proverbs 29 and verse 5 says, A man who flatters his neighbor spreads a net for his feet. Let me read it again. Proverbs 29, 5. A man who flatters his neighbor spreads a net 
for his feet. Be weary of flattery. Now, what's flattery? Speech that you know is not true. Someone comes up to me and they say, Pastor Stanfield, you're the best preacher in the world. I've never heard anybody preach better than you. That's flattery. That's not true. And I know better. And though I would never offend that person, I, I don't accept things like that. I mean, you know flattery when you hear it. The problem is it's too good to just not listen to it. But you have to. You have to guard your heart. Because out of that heart, what, brothers and sisters, flow the issues of life. Now, I've given you four applications I'm giving you a doctrine, brothers and sisters, if you are here tonight and you are concerned about your destination, and I hope you are, where you want to spend eternity, and if you want to spend eternity with Jesus Christ in that heavenly joy and happiness that's promised to us in many pages of Scripture, then you must Hear his voice and do not harden your heart. You must keep this commandment. I hope that I've given you at least an exercise that you can go home with and open up the book of Proverbs, take your notebook, take a pen, and just start studying the book. I mean, look at what we did with one verse. You don't have to go through Proverbs in a week or a month. You might spend 10 years there, but what would the benefit be from that? It'd be immense. You'd be a spiritual giant. Is that flattery? I think that's flattery. You wouldn't be a spiritual giant, but you would be a well-rounded, mature believer, which is what we're all called to be. Let's pray. Now, our gracious Father, we are delighted that we could come again to your word and just spend time there. Read it with our eyes, hear it with our ears, Lord, to, to, to see its places and parts that we could begin to assimilate and begin to apply to ourselves. Father, help us keep our own hearts. Help us see the seriousness of the matter. Help us see the, the effects of it, where it takes us. Lord, what it will, the fruit that will be produced in our lives by keeping our hearts is eternal bliss. And so, Lord, we are so thankful that you've given us your word. We're so thankful that you have given us the Holy Spirit to teach us the word. And we pray, O oh Lord, that we would take it and we would learn from it and we would listen and we would walk in your ways. And we would do this by grace, resting and trusting upon Christ our Lord and Savior. Lord, it's his perfect work that's acceptable in your sight. And we have the joy of having that righteousness imputed to us, which we have by faith. We praise your name, Heavenly Father, for Christ's sake and for the good of our sanctification. Amen.